Hello, hello. Here we are again, coming to you from 44 different platforms on Broadcast Team Alpha. And my name is Augie, and my co-host Nori is still on sabbatical, but she'll be back with us. And, uh, well, this is the show for the thinking global citizen that's not afraid to step outside the box and see what's out there. You're going to find that it's a totally different world than what you have been told. And we're going to have a look at that world here tonight. Because uh, we have a phenomenal guest that have a phenomenal story. And uh, some of you may have heard it, but it's going to be expanded on tonight. Because we are also going to talk about some of the things that is going on right now, which he has some insights on that many of us has not heard about. But also, we are uh, transmitting on uh, the Conscious Awakening Network, and because of them, we are also on the Roku, three TV stations, and a bunch of other places. So go and have a look at that. Uh, that is uh, <coughs> ConsciousAwakeningNetwork.org. You got about, I think, close to 50 different shows out there that talks about spiritual things, conspiracy, and you name it, it's all there. So go have a look. It's a good place. And uh, before I introduce the guest, I want to tell you how you can also connect with us. You can find us on broadcastteamalpha.com, and you can send us a message from there, and uh, we'll get it, and we'll get back to you. And also Broadcast Team Alpha on YouTube, and just about everywhere out there you will find us. So just run the name, and then we will show up. And... If you are watching us on uh, YouTube right now, please click the uh, subscribe button and the bell so you can get a notification when the next uh, show and video comes up. And uh, then I want to introduce you to our guest. We have Dr. Jonathan Reed again. And uh, he's been on... Uh, Two or three times before. Yeah, there he is. Got his hand up. <laughs> All right. And uh, what you will hear is also his story. It is, it is the best documented and most highly investigated and verified pictures, videos, sound of the extraterrestrials interaction anywhere in the world that we can think of as I know, and I have known about this story for probably 20, I don't know, close to 30 years now, back when in the old days, when he was on Art Bell, and they talked about it. And of course, he was invited back there quite a few times to talk more about it, which he also will hear. And uh, the pictures were, now these are pictures of extraterrestrial vehicles extraterrestrials themselves and they were forensically investigated by Kodak their own laboratory that made the film and the movie footage the same the written statements so uh, Jonathan Reed will also explain how this all happened and uh, stay with us here because there's something else I want to talk about first we're going to get to that also we're going to talk maybe a little bit first about what's going on right now because there's this plethora, this is 
flood of government information on the UFO and extraterrestrial existence that is coming out. And we would think this is a good thing. It's finally they're letting us know about it. Well, maybe I, I want to pick his brain and try to find out, is there a plan behind that that may not be as good as it looks on the surface? So welcome to the show, Jonathan. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you, Augie. I feel privileged to be with you and look forward to sharing again tonight. Yeah, this is going to be fun. And uh, I would love to get to your story again, because there's things in there that every, I've heard it many, well, several times. And every time I hear it, it makes an impact on me. It uh, creates new neural network in parallel with the ones I have on it, I think, because it is so unique. Well, I and, appreciate that. And now we have UFO information coming out from governments all around the world. Why now? What do you think? Why? Well, what I, is I think there's I think there's many agendas. Uh, not necessarily what we think, not necessarily the disclosure that we'd like it to be, but there's definitely a dark government agenda of their own. And they've tried to blend it with some information that they couldn't, um, they could no longer hide the information of uh, the UFOs that were seen by the Navy and videotaped. This information has been around for years, but there was one or two reasons why they had to forward this and open the Pandora's box, so to speak, at least let some light in so that the rest of us could see a little bit what's been behind the curtain. Um, these agendas are not necessarily for our benefit, but for their own the government's benefit. We have to remember yeah. that government doesn't usually do anything unless it's going to benefit themselves. Yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. Because yeah, me uh, too. I have seen a document, it's a CIA document that, uh, well, Operation Bluebeam is the title of the document. It's on the on the CIA website. And right. uh, I talked to somebody here, uh, oh, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, and he said that they, they, the document is there, but they keep moving it because people find it. And then they talk about it. So if you, I think the best place to hunt it down is to go into the reading room on the mm -hmm. CIA website. Go into the reading room and try to search through there. You may be able to find it after they moved it. Because this document is quite voluminous, a hundred and some pages. It explains in their own language, on their own paper, under their own insignia, that there's going to be a false alien invasion. And they are doing it with holographic projections of UFOs in the sky 
thousands of them. Mm-hmm. And they're all, well, not all fake. There will be some real ones, which they also have in between. And those real ones, they'll be shooting at stuff on the ground to create fear. So people are running and hiding and running to government and say, please help us, you know. And the government will I, come right back and say, yeah, we'll help you. Yeah, I've heard this too. In fact, another place to look at this is at the Black Vault, the website, yeah. the Black Vault. Um, John has a lot of information up there. And he is definitely a certified bona fide researcher for the truth. So it's a good place to start anyway. But I agree yeah. with you. I think we're looking at some, some disinformation as yeah. well as some information. Uh, kind of like <laughs> being led, led down the road to show what's, what they want us to see. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought the Black Vault up because I heard the rumor that he has that CIA document on his website. Yes. I heard that. I, I have not seen it there, but go look and because chances are you'll find it because this is serious stuff because they plan to do this. And according to a good friend of mine here in Tucson, uh, Dr. <clears throat> I mean, uh, he's uh, a retired FBI agent. And John D'Souza, he says the false flag or the false alien invasion is imminent. He says they are from what he's hearing behind the curtain from where he come in the FBI. He says they are planning to do it and it's imminent. So if you wake up one morning and see hundreds of ships in the sky, don't expect them to be real except for maybe a few in between. And another thing... No, yeah. I'm just going to say, my question is, and why are they doing this? Why are they telling us they're going to create a false scenario, a false projection? Uh, would this be because they are hiding something more important? Maybe possibly ships that are real, like you mentioned, that yeah. are going to be coming in amongst this show. Mm-hmm. So I believe that's probably the case. I am totally convinced of that because uh, we know they have them. They've had them since the 1940, probably seven, when they stole them from the Nazis over in Germany after they won or they ran over Germany. So right. they, had, they had the Hanabers for that long and they redesigned them and now we got much better stuff than what the Germans had. Right, much more than what they're telling us, I'm sure. Yeah. Now, there's one more thing on the uh, the document from the CIA on the uh, Operation Bluebeam that the Christians and the religious people, they are going to be the last ones that will run to the government and say, please help me create a one-world government so we can all unite together and fight the aliens. They're not going to be all interested in doing that if you're a Christian or Muslim or other religion. So they have also that one covered. Because if you wake up, you're also going to see Jesus in the sky. 
if you live in That's Saudi right. Arabia, you won't see Jesus, but you'll see Muhammad up there. And he's going to talk to you through an old technology that I found that was patented the first time in 1978. It's called voice to skull. They beam microwaves to your head. And when it hits a part of the brain that can create speech, you hear their voices in your head and they talk to you and they'll tell you what to do. But you'll see that Jesus in the sky. And when the Christians are hearing Jesus is talking to them, they're going to run and do the same thing. That's, that's right. right. And in the, I in think the it's also, right. And I think that's also going to be true for Buddha, Muhammad, yep. uh, all of the disciples, teachers, the teachers. And yep. we have to make sure that we don't overreact to any of this. That's that's my best scenario. Yeah, absolutely. And now I uh, I have not talked to you about this, but um, what do you think from, we know the extraterrestrials are here. They're walking among us right now, some of them. If you have a good telescope, you can see them circling the moon. They're out there waiting, hundreds of them. Yes, you can almost see them daily. Yeah. What do you think they want to do? Can they interfere in some way? What do you think? What do they think now? Well, by my understanding, by my learning over the last 28, 29 years, is that we first have to understand why are they here at all? Why are they interested in our planet or planet earth uh, that we call home and i believe that the reason is is that this planet is so unique it's such a jewel in the universe that can take multiple life forms and have them thrive uh, working living together um, maybe in less conflict than anywhere else and they believe that all life is important, that it all has an importance to the overall um, working of, of life itself. They believe in one creator like we do, uh, most of us. Uh, they believe that all life has, has meaning more so than uh, communication with each other, maybe on the, the idea of the spiritual realm, that there is a power to that, that we can't even conceive. It's so far above us. Uh, they also are some of the supporters and maintenance of things like our souls, that the soul that, that rides inside of us that we are the, the vehicles that these souls inhabit. And from then on, we need to understand how important their role is in our lives as well. Even though they don't mention this to us, they don't interfere with us. Uh, I know lots of people wish they would come and talk to us openly during the day in front of everybody in the cameras, but they can't. They have, they have laws and rules that they have to follow that's been given that to them by their creator. And they are extremely influenced 
by some of these sovereign rules. Yeah, I know the, uh, you know, we've been all watching Star Trek, you know, and you cannot interfere in a, in a civilization. But um, the prime directive is actually real. Absolutely. They, yeah. they have told us this from day one. I mean, I've talked to people all over the world, and I certainly don't have all the answers. But by what I've interpreted, what I've understood, is this prime directive, as you call it, is a real thing. And that mm -hmm. they are very, very, uh, uh, have to be strict to stay with this. Yeah. Now, I mentioned the word interference a little bit earlier, and I I think that in small ways they may be able to do that, but uh, yes, I agree. Uh, yeah, and uh, another way too, if if we are in a place where we destroy the planet, blow up the planet, so to speak, yeah, then I think they could interfere. Yes, I agree to that. Uh, we know, you and I know, and everybody else knows that. If an alien race wanted to extinguish the human race, it would be done in the blink of an eye. Um, yeah. So there, there's no fighting this. They are truly superior to the human race. There are, they may be millions of years in advance of us, but yet they still have a connection to us. We are a kindred spirit and soul with them. We are not isolated. And they have told me, as well as many other people who I've spoken to, that this relationship is very, very necessary for life to continue in the universe. Now, that doesn't mean they're all good and they all want to you know, protect us. Uh, that just means that they want to protect the planet from being totally destroyed either by us or by yeah. other races so for the most part um they're we're under their wings so to speak yeah. but like ants on the ground we don't interfere with them unless they're interfering with us i think That's the right. best thing we can do is to learn from them to open our minds and our hearts and and listen we need to learn to listen more so than we have ever done before. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And uh, that's interference in the big way too. But in the small, I just saw here about a week ago, I saw a video that came from Israel. The uh, Palestinians were shooting rockets and there were streams of rockets going towards uh, inland Israel. Now, there was also four lights in the sky above there. And the lights, they just went over the rockets and positioned themselves right in the path of the rockets. And they neutralized every one of them came. Did you happen to see that video? Yes, I did. And I have friends who are in Israel right now who have seen many things like this, that there are there's an intervention in some respects, yeah. but it's very, very um, focused. 
In other words, it's not a blanket intervention. It's no. a specific thing. Um, I have I don't have the answer to what they're exactly doing, but I will keep my ears open and let you know as I find out. Mm, yeah, because that that video just blew me away because there they are and they are interfering. They neutralized. I mean, that's just we've never heard of anything like that before. Well, I think in in the literature, in the history of of ufos or whatever you want to choose to call them i call them ufos mm -hmm. i think the pilots of these craft have throughout history have told us that there is a right way and a wrong way but they haven't given us a book of directions they've mm -hmm. left us to figure it out and learn to listen and learn to interpret what they're trying to tell us little by little, but it's just in small little droplets, you yeah. know, maybe, maybe they feel we can't handle it all at once. And that may be very true. Probably. Do you think that there is a combined extraterrestrial plan to slowly bring us to a point where we globally could accept their presence? Yes, I do. I do feel that there is a, an overall agenda of, mm -hmm. of at least teaching us more and more, bringing us mm -hmm. to the table so that we will be able to be accepted into these different pockets of information. We have mm -hmm. to remember, just like the humans on Earth, there are lots of different factions, different uh, races, uh, and they and they don't all have the same agenda, but for the most part, and it's lucky, for the most part, I believe that it's it's positive. There's an overall positive uh, agenda, alien agenda. Um, yeah. There are, like I say, there are little factions of negative people, just like humans, negative mm -hmm. aliens. But for the most part, there, I believe there is a plan. And, I, and for my understanding, the plan is to elevate human beings, to elevate our spirits, our life energy, so that we can ascend to another level. Yeah. Um, it's different. It's different for each race and each people that you talk to, how they interpret that ascension. But mm -hmm. overall, that's what I feel is happening and more so lately than ever before i mean more so in the last 10 years so i mean just like myself i have a positive contact that i've had for 28 years and that's practically unheard of there are other people that have long agendas with yeah. another alien species i've talked to somebody who had one for 60 years and it's ongoing. So they're trying as much as we are. Uh, I think my circumstance was a crazy set of events that tumbled into my, my lap that I had no control over. And possibly they didn't either. But they saw uh, an opportunity 
to use me either to study and to process information through me so I could learn it and pass it on. And that's what I've been doing. Yeah, thinking back on your uh, contact uh, and what happened to you, I don't think that was planned. That was just kind of a thing that happened. I agree. I agree. And But after it started to tumble, I think they saw um, an opportunity yeah. to study me and us. And for mm -hmm. whatever reason, they decided to put some trust in me, uh, mm -hmm. maybe because I didn't have any agenda. When this first happened to me, I was totally a skeptic. It mm -hmm. wasn't even on my plate. I was a medical doctor and I was, you know, very happy just to serve my life the way it was going. Mm -hmm. But this was thrown in front of me and there was no way I could deny it. Even when I tried to deny it, I couldn't. So yeah. that, that's how it happened in the beginning. Well, it's been a long journey. I think, what did you say, 28 years or so? Or is it yes, about sir. Yeah, yeah it, start, it was October 15th, 1996, it, when this sure. first event happened. Mm -hmm. And it was, uh, it was crazy, I will tell you. Yeah, I never, well, I never saw it coming. Well, since we started talking about it, so we might as well go to your story here. But uh, for those of you that joined us late, we are talking with Jonathan Reed that had a phenomenal extraterrestrial and UFO contact experience. And he is going to tell you more about that here now. I... Uh, I was kind of, I, I, when it comes to that story, I don't even know what to ask anymore. I'm, I'm just going to let you lose. Maybe you're just better on your own on this one. Explain well, it. Well, I'll start to explain it, and then you can jump in and ask me okay. questions. Okay. That's good. And, and like I have to tell everybody who, who maybe isn't aware of my circumstance, hey, if this didn't happen to me, if, if I didn't see the evidence in my hand, and experience it myself, hey, I wouldn't believe it either. Because yeah. for years, I tried to deny it. I tried to tell myself this couldn't have happened. Uh, it just didn't make any sense. It didn't fit my well, paradigm. Hey, I, I, I got I to gotta say something here uh, that I forgot in the initial uh, talk. You have a book out. And I went to Amazon and looked. And it is all five stars. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Uh, in the beginning. Talk, talk about that book just for a little bit, because people okay. need to know about this. When I came out publicly, I had been living this existence for almost three years before I ever went public. I had some people that were positive people approach me and say, Jonathan, we know you need some help and we will help you. We will help you understand possibly why this happened to you and the importance of you getting this information out to the public. So they encouraged me to, to write a journal, just a journal, like a diary initially mm -hmm. so that I wouldn't forget 
as if I could forget, but to write it down and then later possibly pass it on to somebody who could make it into a book. Well, one thing led to another and I was introduced to a man named Robert Wraith, who was a freelance writer out of California. And he joined me and talked with me initially. And I asked him, how do we approach this if I want to write it into a book? And he explained what he'd done in the past and that he'd been writing for about 20 years. And we built a friendship based on writing this book, chronicling what had happened to me. And I spent a year with him, literally living in his apartment while we wrote all this down in longhand and then went back through it to decide how to put it in order, how to chron chronicle this information. So the book was finalized and published in 1999, just before 2000 and released to the public. Um, and it, it basically is a, a book about what would you feel if you were in my shoes? And this mm -hmm. happened in this order. Now, none of that order makes any sense until you see the overall picture. It's yeah. like a mosaic, little pieces that need to be put together. But the book basically, chronolo chron uh, let's, let's just say the book gives you the idea of what I went through. From the beginning to end. From, right. Well, at least, at least for the first four years. Mm -hmm. And since then, a tremendous lot has happened. We started writing another book, but unfortunately my partner, Robert Wraith, is dead. And some mm -hmm. of it is uh, suspicious. Uh, made to look like it was under natural causes, but I have my own opinion. That book will come out. It will be concluded and come out, but it's just a matter of me going through it with some of my colleagues putting yeah. those pieces back together. But the book was tremendously received. It was on the bestseller list. It was a great book, uh, small, actually, not more than a couple hundred pages. But people took to it like uh, wildfire. And I mm -hmm. appreciate that so much. That has helped me so much because that was really my only source of income. I didn't mm -hmm. take any, uh, uh, I didn't let people give me money. A lot of people said, oh, we want to give you money just to survive. And that, I said, no, I will. I'll write a book, we'll produce it that way, and I will live that way. Yeah. So yeah. I never accepted any of the money that was voluntarily available to me. Mm -hmm. uh, it was surprising to me how many people worldwide wanted to get involved and be part of this. And, and I thank God for that. Because, yeah. Augie, it's a, it's a very difficult road to 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 walk on to survive and yeah. people don't realize how difficult it is even today i have a team of people uh sometimes four sometimes 20 depending on where i'm at and where i'm going that protect me 
that we protect each other. And I said in the beginning, all I want, I'll, I'll talk, I will keep speaking about what I've learned and what I know as long as people keep asking me to. Yeah. And that that's that's what I've done. Yep. So that's it's a good it's a good little book. I I challenge everyone to take a moment to read it. Um, it's not a textbook. It's just very simple, but it's not like anything else out there. Yeah. And uh, what's the title of the book? The book is called Link: An Extraterrestrial Odyssey, and it's uh, available through Amazon Kindle which is their electronic form right now. Okay. Uh, later on, we're going to republish it again into hardback. Okay. Now let's get back to your story again. The, the, okay. The, well, the... like I said, on, on October 15th, 1996, um, I was a physician, developmental psychiatrics, child development at the University of Washington Medical School. I was a supervisor in charge of uh, child development. Uh, every, every few days, I would take my dog, Golden Retriever, seven years old, Susie, for a hike or a long walk uh, in a nearby area that's about 50 miles from my home and where I worked in Seattle, Washington. This was a pristine forest. Uh, national, part of the National Forest of Washington State. Uh, so I drove my Jeep with my dog, like we had done so many times before, up to the mountains, which took about 50 minutes. We parked my Jeep, we got out, and we went, started walking. This area is, is a beautiful area because you can take your dog off the leash. You can let them run and be mm -hmm. free and chase squirrels and uh, raccoons. And like I said, we have done, we'd done this many times before in this same place. And it was, the, it was late fall, but a, a, a nice day, a little overcast, middle of the day. So we parked my Jeep at about two o'clock and started walking down these trails that were like old logging roads. Some of them, uh, had overgrown, some of them had, weren't, and but yet a wonderful area if if you like mm -hmm. to walk and hike, just wonderful. Um, mm -hmm. We'd been walking for about an hour, and she took off running like she always did, but this time was different. There was a different tone in her voice, and if you've ever had a dog, you realize that you get to know their voice. Yep. Yeah, you and do. this this time she wasn't just softly barking; she was barking loudly, and it became more aggressive. This sound, and I I thought, well, maybe she's found an animal because this is a national forest. It's full of uh, bear and wildcats and things like that. So I, I thought, well, maybe she's in trouble. So I set my pack down because I couldn't see her. I could hear her but I knew she was fairly close, but I set my pack down and I picked up a branch, a broken branch that had fallen from a tree the size of a big baseball bat, just in case I had to untangle her, you know? Uh, so I, I continued 
up this path about another 30 feet. And I heard her so close, it sounded like she was right next to me. So I literally turned and jumped down through the brush, through the underbrush, which was so dense that I couldn't see through it. But I landed right in front of, a, of what I couldn't believe I was seeing. She was being held by a small, dark creature about four feet tall. And he had her by the head and was throwing her back and forth and back and forth. My dog weighs 80 pounds, but he was doing this like it was nothing, like there was no weight to it. And again, nothing made sense. I ran, took a step forward. I saw him literally tear her head apart at the jaw and her head and her backbone came out of her and it was terrible. It was a terrible sight, blood everywhere. She was literally yelping and screaming as this was happening. I said, Susie, let go, let go. But she couldn't stop. She couldn't release from this creature. I took a step forward, I grabbed this bat in my hand and swung it as hard as I could and hit him in the head, in the back of the head and split his skull open. His blood, his sinew, his brains were flying everywhere and he fell to the ground. And I thought he was dead and I hoped he was dead. This was a terrible scene, Augie. This is, people don't understand. You have a dog that's like your child and you, you care so much, but to see them killed in front of your eyes is yeah, yeah. just a terrible thing. And I, at that second, when it fell to the ground, I fell to the ground too. I fell to my knees with a crippling sickness that was like being irradiated. Some people said it, it sounds like it was similar to having a radiation poisoning, that my body released everything. I had my bowels, my bladder, everything just released all at once. Had no control of my muscles. I couldn't get up. I couldn't stand. And nevertheless, it was happening right now. I thought mm. I was going to die. I thought I was not going to, I couldn't breathe. Uh, I, it was just terrible. And I felt that something else was happening besides just an illness, like it was being pointed at me, that mm. there was something happening, that it was out of my control. Uh, the woods, the area from that moment on felt different, felt uh, out of the ordinary. It felt damp and moist and the ground felt spongy almost like I was in a totally different environment, but I was still, still right there. My dog had fell to the ground into a white ash. I mean, her body disintegrated. This being was in front of me, not three feet away from my head. Yeah. And, and I couldn't deny it, it was there. Yeah. So I had to try to figure out how to recover enough to get out of there, just to, just to survive it because that's how worried I was. I was either going into shock or I was having a cardiac arrest. 
because my my chest was pounding, I couldn't breathe, and I couldn't move. I barely could crawl around. So this was what initially happened. And that all happened within 10 to 15 seconds, which sounds mm -hmm. like a short time, but it was an eternity. It was terrible to see this, to witness this, to feel it. Uh, I, wanted, yeah. I wanted it to go away. Well, actually, it is not an uncommon feeling that you get uh, lose control of your body and the way you think, because these are somewhat similar stories to what people talk about when they're in a war and they kill somebody for the first time. A lot of them, they just totally turn inside out and just throw up and let the bowels go and they just can't control themselves because they know what they did. Right. Right, and it's it's a. I, I have talked to a lot of people who were soldiers in war, who have mm -hmm. said this was a similar feeling that they yeah. went through, exactly like you're explaining, Augie. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but the 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 problem was I was, twenty miles in the wilderness where there was no other people around. This was yeah. the end of the season. Uh, I. I looked around and there was nobody around. And I had to, like I said, I had to figure out a way to survive this and get mm -hmm. out of the woods because I didn't know if I was going to live or die. So my mind at that moment was focused not on who or what did this to me, but on how I could get my body just to get to the next step, get back mm -hmm. to my car, which had taken almost an hour to get where I was. So I knew I had some water in my pack, my day pack. I knew I had a little bit of dog food, but really nothing yeah. else. I didn't have a shovel. I didn't have a, uh, I had a pocket knife, but I thought, well, I need the water. I'm going to get to the water. And so I crawled. I couldn't stand. I crawled back to where my pack was and opened my pack, took out my cameras, which I had, the water was in the bottom of the pack. So I had to take out the cameras first and I laid them down. I grabbed my water bottle, took some, took some water, tried to slow my breathing down so I wouldn't go into shock. And as I was doing this, I realized I have my cameras. This is familiar to me. This, this gave me some solace to come back to something that in my mind I was familiar with and took my mind off of what had just happened. Mm -hmm. And and I needed that. And at that moment I thought, well, I, I know how to work my camera. I can I could take some pictures of this body laying on the ground, you know, and and maybe I'll just prove to myself that it really isn't there. That this was something I created in my mind. Yeah. And that uh, that even gave me solace. Yeah. But now you realize by that time you killed something that didn't look like human. But when did you discover when did you discover the ship that he came in? Well, about it had been about an hour, hour and a half from the time that the creature fell to the ground that I realized that there was a sound coming through the forest, an ebbing harmonic 
low tone, almost to the point where I could feel it in my backbone. It was so low and it was modulating up and down. And I thought, what is that sound? Is it coming from somebody with a, a radio, a boom box? You know, and I thought, well, maybe if maybe it is and I can have them help me because I needed help. So I would stand up and fall down again and prop myself up next to a tree. And and but nobody was there. Nobody was coming. And so I looked around and I thought, well, where is this sound? And I the more I looked for it, the more I realized there was a, a grove of small evergreen trees between me and this other rise because it was kind of a hilly area and as I looked through that grove of trees it moved like a almost like an illusion or or like a you know a when shimmer? you see yeah a shimmer or a bending of the light uh, on a bright day you can see this happening I wondered what it was. So I made my way maybe 75 feet from where I was. I could see something in that grove. And I got up and I'd fall down and I got over there toward it. And I fell down into this little gully. And as I got up, I realized there was this black piece of stone looking thing. And it was, 12 feet long, two and a half feet high, and about three and a half feet wide. And I didn't know what it was. I didn't, but it was, it was emitting this sound, this tone that was almost inside of me, the closer I got. And I even touched it and it was cold, like dry ice. I mean, it actually pulled the skin off the inside of my hand. And as I touched it, the tone changed. It became more favorable, not as irritating, but it was three feet off the ground. There was nothing touching the ground. It was it just sitting, moving. sitting there. It wasn't moving. It was like it was anchored to the air. I pushed it again and I'm 200 pounds. It didn't move a fraction of an inch. But there was no landing gear, there was no wheels, there was no studs, there was nothing holding it up, which again didn't make any sense to me because this is not my field. This is was not something yeah. I would ever have thought about. But nevertheless, it was happening. And this sound it was making was un unrecognizable, but yet almost almost giving me a good feeling, if you can understand that. Almost mm -hmm. like it was communicating. And, and I've had years to think about this and some people and, and have come to the suggestion that maybe it was looking for this little guy that was now yeah. laying on the ground, assumed dead, but, but I was the only thing moving. You know, I was only yeah. there with a heartbeat. Yeah. So maybe it was actually looking for Ex this explain, little guy. Explain a little bit about what did the, the little guy, the extraterrestrial, look like to you at that time? Well, it was it was dark in color because it had a, a suit, a skin suit, I call it, covering its entire body from its neck 
to its feet. His mm-hmm. hands were covered, his arms, his legs, his torso, all of it covered with one material, seamless. And, mm-hmm. and I, uh, incredible, shiny, almost slippery, almost felt like it was a little bit oily, but yet there was no residue that I could see. But its face, its head was no hair, old looking skin, uh, gray and pink, a grayish pinkish color, um, uh, thick, very thick, like a old pig skin. Mm-hmm. Um, its eyes were very large. They were about two and a half inches large from center to exterior. Um, it had almost no nose. There were small openings where the nostrils were. It had a very small mouth. Um, its ears were just a, a timbric opening. There was no ear flaps. Um, mm-hmm. And I photographed it. I photographed mm-hmm. it in the woods. I photographed mm-hmm. it every way I could. I videotaped it. And at that time, I thought it was dead. But later on, I realized it wasn't. Yeah. And be- yeah. because I brought, I brought the body home. I wrapped it up in a thermal blanket. Uh, I didn't want to touch it with my hands. So I used the thermal blanket underneath it and wrapped it up like a sleeping bag. Put my straps from my pack around it. It was extremely light, you know, like 50 pounds. And I just carried it and decided I had to get out of there. Maybe I could hide this body. Maybe I could put it under some brush that I could find between where I had parked my Jeep and where I was. And literally, I found myself back at my Jeep almost magically. I don't know what happened. I don't know where the time went. I mean, it took me an hour to get there and it felt like it took five minutes to get back. Mm -hmm. So that's another incredible part of this. Um, I put it in my Jeep. I got in the driver's seat and just sat there for quite a while thinking what's happened. Where's Susie? Where's my dog who always was next to me in the, passenger seat Mm -hmm. but she wasn't there and I looked in the rear view mirror and I could see that there was something wrapped up in this silver gold thermal blanket yeah so I had to get home I started the car and I just slowly drove home uh, stopping by where there was a ranger station because I thought I could get some help uh, but there was nobody there nobody at the ranger station. So I just continued on, drove back to my home in Seattle, pulled into my carport, which was right next to my garage, uh, sat there for a while thinking, uh, you know, I don't know what has happened. I mean, I'm losing my mind, uh, decided I would get out. And then I stopped and, and remembered there's this thing in my car. And I decided, well, I, I didn't want to leave it there. I thought somebody might steal it. That would be a surprise. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And and I decided, well, I'll put it in my garage. 
uh, I wasn't using my garage for my cars. Uh, it was just a, another storeroom separate from my house. And as I opened the door, I saw an old freezer that I'd had for several years. Somebody had given to me, but it was functional. I didn't have hardly any food in it, just a little basket of some frozen food. So I lifted that basket out and I just picked, went back to my car, opened the back end, picked it up, went and put it inside the freezer and closed the lid down. The, the lock on the freezer didn't work, but it stayed down. And I thought it's out of sight. It's a dead, you know, like I, I felt it was dead and it would decompose if it wasn't put in some isolated yeah. freezing area. And to yeah. me, it made sense. And also it was out of sight because I wanted mm -hmm. it out of sight. I didn't want to have to look at it. I didn't want mm -hmm. to think about it. So, and then I closed the door to the garage and I walked into my house through another door and just sat there for a long time, just just almost numb, not knowing what to do. Um, I thought, well, I'm really sick, so I got to call somebody to help me. So I called my best friend who I'd known for 20 years and said, Gary, you got to help me. And he said, well, what's going on? I said, come over, Susie. Susie is dead. And he knew my dog and how much my dog meant to me. And yeah. that's, that's what happened. He came over. I unloaded the videotape into the player. He says, well, what's going on? What's wrong? What's going on? I said, just watch this. And he watched it. And it showed the creature in the woods. It showed the black obelisk craft floating in the air. I walked around it. It's clear that it's a three-dimensional object. Um, and he was dumbfounded and didn't even know what to say. And, and I yeah. said, I don't know, I don't know what to do either. And I said, but I'm really sick. And he said, well, he said, that's an extraterrestrial. And I said, Gary, I, I don't know that. I don't even want to think that. And he says, oh yeah, I know what it is. I'm sure of it. You know, and he was all gung ho. And mm -hmm. I, I said, well, I, I don't know anything about it. And he says, well, we got to call somebody. We got to get in touch. I said, you can look into whatever you want to. But I said, I'm really sick. And so I needed, I took a shower. I stood in the shower with all my clothes on for probably 15 minutes and just peeled off the day yeah. off my body and tried to recover, tried to calm my breathing and drink yeah. some water. I, uh, I know now that we got five minutes left of the show. So tell us also what happened when you again discovered that this extraterrestrial was actually alive. And then speak also to the fact that you may have had contact with him afterwards and learned some things. Those two yeah. issues we need to do well, in those five minutes. While it was in my freezer, for three days, I had been taking it out, laying it on the garage floor and a table and having friends come over and look at it to help me decide, what do we do with this? What is this? And on the third day, I was supposed to show it to another doctor who I worked with. And he called 
and said, Jonathan, I'm not coming. I'm not going to do this. You shouldn't be doing this either. You should stop right now. And then he hung up. This was so unlike him that it made me mad. So I went out to the garage and I put was going to put away the table and the lights that I had set up there. And as I was entering the garage, I heard this sound, this scratching or rubbing sound, like the compressor was going out and it was an older freezer. So this, you know, made perfect sense. Maybe that's happening. And if that was happening, the freezer is going to quit working. And then I'm in for another problem because this thing's going to, you know, basically thaw out and I'm going to have to do something else. Well, as I'm hearing this sound, all of a sudden I thought, well, I'll check the thermometer to see if it, the freezer's broken. So I opened the top. And as I opened the top, it sat up out of the end of this thermal blanket and screamed at me. And so loud with such power that it literally pushed me back away from the freezer, just like somebody taking their hand and putting it in your chest. It was crazy. It was unbelievable. But nevertheless, it was happening. So it screamed at me so hard. I wanted to you know, absolutely leave the place. I ran out of the garage, went in the house and just sat there not knowing what to do at all. And so that was the first time I knew that it wasn't dead. It, yeah. it had been playing possum. In fact, one of the videotapes we have that I thought was it was dead, I photographed it, did kind of an anatomical uh, examination of it, but it's blinking and moving its head trying to play possum for me. So mm -hmm. it was alive the whole time. Mm -hmm. And and after that, I decided I would go back to the garage. I called Gary, I let him know we have a bigger problem and decided that it was it was hurt. It was had a huge wound in its head. And I thought, well, maybe it's suffering terribly and maybe I should put it out of its misery. Maybe I should take it, my shovel and, and kill it if it's suffering that bad. But it, as I went out and it sat up, it didn't scream the same way. And it looked at me and almost put feelings in my head, different images in my head, like it was trying to communicate. And it was. So for the next eight days, seven days, I would go back to the freezer and open the door and it would sit up and look at me, finally get out of the freezer on its own and just sit in front of the freezer, looking at me and throwing images inside my head so fast that I had to say, slow down, slow down, you're hurting me. Because this, this imagery was coming so mm -hmm. fast and that's when it that's what i knew it was yeah. alive and yeah. and wanting to communicate so we started over, to communicate over the years later have you also been in contact with them then yes it has remained uh coming back it has continued to come back sometimes as often as once or twice a week sometimes as often mm -hmm. as once or twice a day for 28 years, it has mm -hmm. continued. And we have built 
I, I, there's no other word I can say. We've built a relationship in communicating with each other, him mm -hmm. teaching me about himself and me teaching him about my life and about our life. I don't know if he can no longer function <clears throat> because of what I did to him. I, I've never gotten him to say that, but somehow they've allowed him, his superiors, they've allowed him to communicate with me. Yeah, so and, he was in your garage, but when did he disappear? Did he, uh, did you take well, him? On the, on, the, on the ninth day from when he first, when I first saw him in the woods, <clears throat> I drove by my house and there were men taking my, all my furniture and, and all my belongings out of the house and putting them into three vans three big step vans they were they were either stealing everything i thought or i didn't know what was going on anyway i drove by my house i saw it i went to a friend's house i called the police reported it and waited there for about six hours and then i went back and i went into my house and found out that it had been ransacked <clears throat> excuse me there were holes in the walls, in the ceiling, in the floor. They had taken the toilet off of the wax ring from the floor. The sink was torn off the wall. There was water spraying everywhere. <clears throat> Why, I don't know. There were these holes. They had pierced holes in the walls, in the, in the, in the ceiling, looking for something. Maybe looking for evidence. I don't know. There and wasn't there any... Extraterrestrial was missing? No, the well, I went to the garage and <clears throat> the freezer was gone. And I thought, mm -hmm. okay, they must have taken him in the freezer and it's gone. Other things were gone too, like a whole cord of wood, which makes no sense. But then before I, I left, I could see that there was wet, small footprints, frosty footprints on the floor not going to the door or the big door, but going right to the wall. And like it walked right through the wall. And I hope, I hope it got away. I didn't mm -hmm. want it to be, you know, abducted by these yeah. men in black. And yeah. approximately a month later, I, well, I left town, I left town. I took a car, took some money and left town because I didn't want them hurting my friends or my parents because they had torn everything apart in my life. And I, all I could think of was get out of town. So I left town. I lived in the woods out of Vancouver. I was homeless for about 11 months. And during that time, he appeared to me right in front of me. He just appeared and mm -hmm. It was him. There was no question that, that it was him. He had the scar on his head and he communicated with me. He literally, with telepathy, was saying, are you okay? Are you okay? Oh, and and a lot of this was difficult to understand, but that's essentially when he came back to me. And from then on, it was a matter of, you know, once a week or twice a week. Yeah. And he's never stopped.
He's never stopped coming back. Other people have seen him too. So this mm. isn't just me. I have testimony from maybe 50 people who have also seen it and witnessed yeah. this. So it's a yeah. reality. Yeah, now we are totally out of time. In fact, we're over time. So, so well, I thank you. Th yeah, this got just really lively here. So I sure thank you very much, Jonathan, for being on here. I think there is more in this story that maybe could be covered at another time. Ab absolutely. And I thank yeah. you for this opportunity. Yeah, thank, thank you very audience. much. Thank you, everybody, and uh, we will see you next week. And uh, in the meantime, be good to each other.